Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Reading from the Torah, the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give you this land and to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages towards Negev. A common need within humanity is the desire to feel special. This feeling of wanting to be unique, one of a kind. Maybe it's something that we've done. Maybe it's the way we dress. Maybe it's the way we make ourselves appear to other people. We want to be noticed. A lot of us will say, well, I don't care what you think about me. What you think about me is none of your business. But if we're really honest, we do care about what other people think about us. And we want to be treated as if we're special. We like that. We like those special privileges. We like those special favors. We like those special treatments. I remember one time when I was flying and I got bumped up into first class and watching people go back into coach gave me this feeling like, "Eh, I'm special. I like that feeling. But that is not limited to an individual. Groups can feel that. We see that often in, in teams, groups of people that come together for a common purpose. There's this sense of feeling like, wow, we're special. Um, the whole number one, even when you're not number one, you still say we're number one because we want to feel as a group special. Anytime people come together, there's this sense of belonging to each other but yet being distinct from other people. Because we want to feel, as a group, special. We found this phenomenon happening here in the United States. We want to make America great again. We want to be special. 
We want to be treated different. We wanted to be treated with special favors, special privileges. And that's good and fine for a period of time. But then eventually something will happen and we won't feel as special. Perhaps we feel threatened. Perhaps we feel like we're being attacked. We're being oppressed. When those things begin to happen, we begin to lose that feeling of being special and our desire to feel special, we begin to crave it. We begin to desire it and we seek it out. And that's exactly what happened to Israel when they were taken captivity by the Babylonians. Israel was a small little country and they were continually being attacked by other small nation states. But then empires begin to be built. And so they were attacked by the Assyrians. They were attacked by the Egyptians. And then when the Babylonian Empire came into power, they were attacked by them and they were taken into captivity. And while they were in Babylon, they really didn't feel special anymore. Gone was their land. Gone was their families. Gone were their customs and their rituals. All of that, poof, gone. So how do you feel special in the midst of all of that? One individual decided a way to keep the community together during that period of time and to once again claim that sense of being a special group of people. He began to take those stories that had orally been passed around and he began to write them down. But when he came to talking about the origin of Israel, where it came from, he created a mythical character by the name of Abram. And in time, it will become Abraham, literally translated the father of many. Now, this mythical character has to be special. And that's in the text that was read from us in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, we find these words. Now the Lord said to Abram, there's no reason why God says this to him. He just simply says, you're the one, because you're special. Doesn't tell us why, but Abram's the one. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Abraham is special. And that's important for the writer to put out there for the readers because they, in turn, need to hear the next line. And that next line says, I, God, will make you, Abraham, a great nation. So if Abraham was special, then they, in turn, would be special. And while you're in the midst of captivity and you're being oppressed and you have no sense of identity, to be able to hear these stories, to be able to read these stories, you begin to realize, yes, yes, indeed, we are special. And that God has chosen us. And that's why we're special. Then, with that in mind, what it says at the first part of verse 3 makes sense. When God says... I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. 
It's as if the writer is saying, you are so special that how people treat you will determine their welfare. That if you are treated well, then I, God, will bless you them. But if you're treated poorly by other people, then I, God, will curse them. That's how special you are, Israel, to me. But the writer doesn't stop there. The writer begins to incorporate the disdain that he feels toward Babylon, toward all of those who have oppressed them in their past. And the writer creates God based from those feelings. And so the writer begins to tell stories and begins to say that it was God who ordered them to go in and destroy entire people groups. It was God who would curse individuals. It was God who sent the message to the prophets, talking about how because they treated God's special people unique and different and tormented them and oppressed them, that God would do the back to them. So this whole system is created. And that's why when we read the Bible, we see at the very roots this sense of feeling special, belonging to God. And as a result of that, that created an image of God who, let's be honest, is belligerent. It's a God who is harsh toward other people. And it's all based on the simple fact that Israel saw themselves as being very special. But something shifted. Because when the Persians came in and overthrew the Babylonians and they gained power of Israel, they decided to be far more tolerant and accepting and accommodating. So they took the Israelites and they sent them home. Instead of being outsiders, they now belonged to the kingdom. And as long as they paid their taxes, they had freedom again. They could live with the freedom that they desired to hold their own customs and rituals and to worship the way that they chose. But what was fascinating is because the Persians were tolerant of them, they in turn begin to be tolerant of other nations. And that began to impact how they spoke about God. And so instead of God being this belligerent, harsh God toward other people, God actually becomes more tolerant and accepting. What's amazing is, in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, you had the original writer, but then over a period of time, other individuals came in and they begin to supplement. They begin to add to that. And more than likely, it was one of these writers who captured a more tolerant God. And in verse 3, the second half, that writer adds the following. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I mean, you're talking about being able to see in verse chapter 12 of Genesis, verse 3, right there, you actually begin to see this, these two views of God. One is God who says, I'll bless other people and curse them based upon you and how they treat you because you're special. 
And then on the other side, right following that, now they are going to be a blessing for all people. But that's not the only place we find it. You think about the story of Jonah. Jonah is to go to the capital of Assyria, Nineveh, and there preach to them and call them to repentance. This is not the God of Israel being special. This is a more universalistic God. And when you read in the Old Testament, you see in the prophets how God is going to punish the Assyrians, and then you have this one prophet who comes in later on and says, no, 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 God actually wants the Assyrians to repent. Another perfect example of this is found in the book of Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite. And again, if you read in the Pentateuch and in the prophets, you see how God is going to judge the Moabites because of the way they treated his special people. But Ruth, a Moabite, is going to be named in the lineage of King David. And so we see this shift taking place in the foundation of their beliefs. Their view of God is shifting to a God who is intolerant of other people to a God who is truly tolerant of other people. And that's why I think at times when we read the Old Testament, we get confused. But as the people's views begin to shift, their concept of God begin to shift. Today, we are facing a threat. It's invisible. It's not a nation or another country that is at war with us, surrounding us, that we can point at and say, they're the problem. It's this invisible threat that is oppressing us. The economic hardships, the psychological harmships of, of being at home and not being able to be around those people that you love and care for, that is very difficult. And during this time, we can respond in two ways, and we see evidence of both of them. One way of responding to this is based on the idea of retracting, of pulling back, circling the wagons. It's reaffirming that we are special, that we are the nation, that we are the nation that God has blessed, and therefore God will take care of us. I mean, we're hearing this around us about how people are trusting in God. They're saying, trust in God because we are a special people. We're a special nation. But when that happens and we begin to, to isolate ourselves from the rest of the world, in turn, we begin to look at other people as the enemy. We're looking for someone to blame for all of this. We see the blame being put on China, but then in turn, China is blaming us. We see the blame be put on the World Health Organization, and we know they more than likely made some mistakes. But rather than waiting and dealing with that at another time, instead, we want to blame them now and punish them now. 
because we are isolating ourselves. And we take our view of God and we align it with that. So that is one way that we can respond to the situation that we find ourselves in. But then there's another possibility. Instead of retracting, we begin to expand. We become more open. We become and begin to be united, uniting with other people. Instead of each state having to go it alone, instead of us as a nation going alone and asking other nations to go alone, we be continue to pull our resources together because we recognize that we are so intertwined with each other that we need one another. A perfect example of that is what we're seeing in the media and what they're telling us. They're telling us that we're finding success because people are cooperating. People are sheltering at home. People are keeping a safe distance from each other. People are respecting one another. They're working together to hold this pandemic at bay. We see it working. We see what happens when we come together. But that shouldn't surprise us. Because history tells us that when people come together and they're willing to work together, that things change. Just like for Israel, when the Persians treated them in a way that was respectful and tolerated them, they in turn became more tolerant, and their view of God shifted to a more tolerant God. The same thing happened by a contemporary of Jesus, by the name of Philo of Alexandria. He also noticed what happens when we come together. He says the following, there have been times when history moved toward a world of tremendous interdependence and believed that this was part of God's plan, a plan to make it so that individual peoples and even individual species would need one another, a plan to make it so that, that we are dependent on one another. And that, as history wore on, that would become truer and truer. And as a result, the world would move toward unity. 2,000 years ago, this guy talks about this. And it's as relevant today as it was then. We are at that place where either we will continue to isolate ourselves as a country, as states, as political parties, as groups, as individuals, or we can use this as an opportunity to wake up and to remember what happens in history when humanity comes together. This idea was also captured by an amazing book. The author's name is Robert Wright. The title of book is The Evolution of God, and he says the following. The good news is 
that when people find themselves in a kind of interdependent relationship, when they see that they can gain through collaboration or that they don't need to be threatened, then doctrines of tolerance tend to emerge. Science tells us this is not going to be the last pandemic. Science tells us this is not the last threat toward humanity. We still feel the roof. We still face the real challenges of climate that is changing. We are still faced with the challenge and the threat of nuclear war. We are still challenged and threatened by an ever-increasing threat of perhaps artificial intelligence. And so we have two ways to deal with those. We can go alone or we can go together. However we reply, it will affect our view of God. And that is why it is so important that in the midst of this pandemic that we stop and truly reflect upon what kind of God we are creating in our minds. We have an opportunity to emotionally and spiritually mature as a human race so that we will be able to face any threat because we have come together and feel ourselves pulled forward by the divine to be together. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.